0: Well, if you brought your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Psalm 33. I want to preach a message this morning called America's Godly Heritage. What I'm about to share with you, I have shared some of this before. I like to teach and preach on this every few years because what I'm going to share with you today is not being taught any longer in our school system. All right, Things have been uh, rewrote. I like Alvin's t-shirt it doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be re-read be regarding the Constitution or our Declaration of Independence. We'll talk more about that today. But uh, uh, Psalm 33, verse 12. It says, Blessed, or, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. And then, next scripture is Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34. Proverbs 14, 34. It says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace or reproach to any people. Well, as you know, in two days is the fourth of July. It's a special day in our country, but not just because of the declaration of independence. A lot of things happened on this day that was commemorated, and for example, three American presidents died on this day, that being John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe. And if you wanna get down to it, James Monroe was ready to die several days before July 4th, but he wanted the doctors to keep him alive with medicine just long enough so he could actually die on the 4th of July. James, Ma- James Monroe. Why did they do that for him? Because the 4th of July meant something to that generation, of those people. Calvin Coolidge was born on that day in 1872, West Point opened on July 4th, 1802. The song America was sung for the very first time on July 4th, 1832 in Boston. Alaska and Hawaii both became states on the 4th of July. Slavery was abolished in the state of New York on July 4th, 1848. And so, 4th of July was a special day in the birthing, in the beginning of this country. Now, who can tell me on what date the Declaration of Independence was signed You're saying, well, July 4th, Uh, no. It was approved on July 4th, but signed on August 2, 1776. Only two people signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, and that was Charles Thompson as secretary and John Hancock as president of the Continental Congress. Uh, Interesting enough, uh, there was was one of our uh, presidents who was a minister of the gospel A president who preached revivals, one in which he preached 19 times, led 34 people to Christ and witnessed 31 water baptisms. That person's name was James A. Garfield, the 20th president of the United States of America, a preacher of the gospel, an evangelist, if you will, who held revivals. And he said this, now more than ever before, The people are responsible for the character of their Congress. The first Speaker of the House and also a pastor was Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg. True or false, Moses' image is depicted in the current House chambers. True. Which signer of the Declaration of Independence was a church music director and choir leader? That person's name was Francis Hopkinson. When Congress, when did Congress decide that the Capitol building would serve as a church building? That was the first week of December in 1800. Significantly, Thomas Jefferson how many have heard of him? Thomas Jefferson was instrumental in establishing the weekly Sunday worship services at the U.S. Capitol, a practice that was continued through the 19th century and was himself, Thomas Jefferson, was himself a regular and a faithful attendant at those church services, not even allowing inclement weather to dissuade his weekly horseback travel to the Capitol church. The fact that the U.S. Capitol building was available for church services on Sunday was due to Article 1, Section 7, the constitutional requirement that forbade uh, federal lawmaking on Sundays in this recognition of a Christian Sabbath in the U.S. Constitution was cited by federal courts as proof of the Christian nature of America. Now, while not every... A Christian observes a Sunday Sabbath, no other religion in the world honors Sunday except Christianity. As one court noted early on, the various Sabbaths were, quote, the Friday of the the Mohammedan, the Saturday of the Israelite, or the Sunday of the Christian, end quote. Now, why was Thomas Jefferson a faithful attendant at the Sunday church at the Capitol? Well, he once explained to a friend while they were walking to church together, no nation has ever existed or has they ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. The Chris, he said this, the Christian religion is the best religion that has been given to man, and I, as chief magistrate of this nation, am bound to give it the sanction of my example. Friends, that's Thomas Jefferson. President. When he was president, President Jefferson even closed his presidential documents with quote, in the the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. Even President Jefferson recognized and treated America as a Christian nation. I would encourage you this week. If you've never been to this website, I give it two thumbs up. It's wallbuilders.com with David Barton. He's one of my heroes in the faith. I love David Barton, love what he stands for. He has, perhaps, as a, as a uh, citizen of this country, one of the largest personal collections of original documents of our founding fathers than anybody else has. I've watched his videos. I've shown his videos here. Um, I've been educated a lot from him and love this gentleman. But if you want to learn more about America's Christian roots, go to wallbuilders.com or look up David Barton's material. But I would encourage you, take a few minutes on Tuesday to read to yourself or your family the Declaration of Independence. Back to that great document that was approved on July 4th of 1776. The Declaration of Independence reads, well, we read of a belief that all people have rights given to them by the creator of mankind. The document, the Declaration of Independence, only has 1,321 words, and it takes about 10 minutes to read, and God is mentioned four times, twice at the beginning and twice at the end. The purpose of the Declaration of Independence was to separate us officially from the repression and authority of England. John Adams who said, and I quote, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity, went on to say that in observing the 4th of July, it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. In other words, John Adams was saying, you know something? The July 4th means something. It's a holy day. It's a day to be revered. It's a reverence day kind of. Kind of a day, and it me- it needs to be of devotion to God almighty, and so really, if you think about it preserving American liberty depends upon, first of all, our understanding on the foundations on which this great country was built. I preached on foundations from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 last week to to make sure that your foundation is sure. Well, we had a good beginning and a good foundation in this country as we'll get into this, but then we need to preserve the principles for which this country was founded. Woodrow Wilson once declared, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today or what it's trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. Friends, Psalm 44, verse 1 says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers told us what you did in their day long ago. And so with that start, church, God has blessed this nation. But my question this morning is, have we forgotten, though, the God who has blessed us? Most of us are familiar with the pilgrims who came here to Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower. Just as they landed, they joined together in what is called the Mayflower Compact of 1620. These are the words of the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. See, these early settlers basically were writing, we came here for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's America's founding. 23 years later, in 1643, as more and more people came to the shores and up into New England, they formed a confederation called the New England Confederation. This was the first written constitution of groups meeting together in 1643. Here's where the New England Confederation Constitution began. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely, listen to this, to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. You see, America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule over their lives. They were looking for his righteousness to exalt this nation. Now, let me also pause and say that they were not all fundamentalist Christians, all right? They, they weren't all doctrinally. They didn't have everything together, neither do we. Uh, their theology might have differed a little bit, but... These early founding fathers acknowledged that God was a supreme ruler over man and over government. If you will take a few minutes this week and reread the Declaration of Independence that was approved on July 4th, 1776, most of you will be familiar with the prologue that says, We hold these truths... To be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They didn't say happiness. They said the pursuit of happiness. You know why? Because these founders were wise. They acknowledged that these rights, life, liberty, and pursuing happiness, these rights come from God, not from man, and not from government. That comes from God. And they wanted to acknowledge it, and that's why they said on the very next line, and that to secure or protect these rights, governments are instituted among men. They're saying, we want the form of government whose job it is to protect what creator God has given to each one of us. In other words, government, it's your job to protect those rights. And as you read the Declaration of Independence, you discover what follows the prologue are about 15 or 16 charges against King George of Britain. But as they come to the final, the closing, the therefore, they make two more references to God, where it says, We therefore the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. They're simply saying, we're appealing to you, England. We're declaring our independence, but we're also appealing mainly to the supreme judge of the world. We are appealing to God himself. And then the very last line of the declaration of independence is this. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Well, divine is God. All right? Divine means God. In other words, we're saying, God, we need your help with all of this. We are dependent on you. And truth be told, church, God has truly blessed this exceptional nation called America. God has blessed this country. Notice, for example, a few representative statements on this subject by some of the previous presidents of this country. John Adams said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Teddy Roosevelt the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure to ourselves that what, what, life, what that life would be if these teachings were removed. Teddy Roosevelt. Woodrow Wilson, America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify the devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Woodrow Wilson. I read on Prager U this year, this past week, Dennis Prager University, on that uh, Facebook page. And he was talking about the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and our founding fathers, and, and made this statement that, that almost all, uh, the largest percentage of scriptures that were used in forming this country as the founders went to God's Word came from the book of Deuteronomy. Man, I've studied this, studied this, studied this. I have never knew that. But, so Deuteronomy has the most quotes from it in their early documents. Woodrow Wilson, is, once again, America was born a Christian nation. Herbert Hoover, American life is built and can alone survive upon the fundamental philosophy announced by the Savior 19, year, 19 centuries ago. Uh, Harry Truman, this is a Christian nation. Richard Nixon, let us remember that as a Christian nation, we have a charge and a destiny. That is why to me, as I reread these things to you, it is absolutely imperative that we revisit and review our nation's birth and history. I mean, listen, if you will, this morning to the voice of our founding fathers and hear the, spirit, and hear the spiritual commitment in what they said. John Quincy Adams, who had become president said in 1821 about the Declaration of Independence. He said, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledged as the root of their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. That from a former president of the United States. George Washington's farewell address to the nation. Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. President Thomas Jefferson, in an address to Danbury Baptist, the First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state. And that's where today's left-leaning progressives will take out of context saying separation of church and state. Well, look at the context of this. The First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state. But that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. We're not told that in our classrooms today. You see, the righteousness of our nation, the righteousness of our government was even patterned after biblical principles. How many know where the framers of our nation got the idea of the three branches of government? Remember, there's an executive branch, there's a legislative branch, there's a judicial branch. Isaiah chapter 33:22 The Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, giver, the Lord is our king; it is he who will save us. You see Isaiah 33:22 refers to God in the same three aspects as our government. For the Lord is our judge is judicial. He is our lawgiver, that's legislative. He is our king. That's executive. It is he who will save us. And so when the framers of our government got together and said, how can we best organize our government, they looked to the word of God for the wisdom needed. They looked to God's word so his righteousness would exalt a nation. Friends, I am here to tell you today that I am glad that America formed our government based on the word of the Lord. Amen. And I want to say to all those listening by, by, by uh, internet this morning or today or whenever you listen to this, I want to say to all the revisionists out there, you can try to rewrite history to your own liking, but America's roots are Christian, period. Did you know that immediately after creating the Declaration of Independence, the Continental Congress voted to purchase? and import 20,000 copies of Scripture for the people of this nation. The Congress, did you hear me, voted to purchase and import 20,000 copies of Scripture for the people of this nation. Patrick Henry, who was called the firebrand of the American Revolution, is still remembered for his words, give me liberty or give me death. But in our current textbooks in our schools today, the context of what he had to say in its entirety have been deleted. Here's what he said. An appeal to arms and the God of hosts is all that is left for us. But we shall not fight our battle alone. There is a just God that presides over the destinies of nations. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slaveries? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, he says, give me liberty or give me death. You see, that has been erased from our textbooks today. Was Patrick Henry a Christian? Well, the following year in 1776, he wrote this, and I quote, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that reason alone, he says, People of other faiths have been afforded freedom to worship here. Think about that. Think about what he just said. And we don't hear that today. Consider the words from George Washington, the father of our nation, in his farewell speech on September 19, 1796. It is impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity, our religion and morality are the indispensable supporters. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that our national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Was George Washington a Christian? Well, consider these words from his personal prayer book. O eternal God, O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts, words, and and work. Check out what he says. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily, frame me more and more in the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justified unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ." Was he a Christian? Well, it sounds like he's crying out, Jesus, wash me in your blood. You know, change me, help me to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Purge my heart by the Holy Ghost. I mean, friends, that's Christianity. All right? Consider the words of John Adams, our second president, who also served as chairman of the American Bible Society. In an address to military leaders, he said, We have no government armed with power, with the power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by our morality and true religion. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Well, how about our first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay? He stated that when we select our national leaders, if we are to preserve our nation, we must select Christians. He said this, John Jay, quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. John Jay. John Quincy Adams, son of John Adams, who was the sixth U.S. President, he was also the chairman of the American Bible Society, which he considered his highest and most important role. On July 4, 1821, President Adams said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Calvin Coolidge. Our 30th president of the United States reaffirmed this truth when he wrote, The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. You know why America is in the mess it's in? Because we have moved away from our foundation. We have moved away from God. We have moved away from God's word. We are doing what is right in our own eyes. Friends, you can go online and you can read what I'm, what I'm sharing with you this morning. I mean, for example, the very first time Congress got together was September 6, 1774. And according to historical records, they started out with prayer. And this wasn't some little prayer just uttered, you know, like, you know, now leave me down to sleep, whatever. Some records indicate that that opening prayer session lasted for three hours long. And if you keep reading on the account, you'll see that it was such a significant time that many delegates wrote about it. And Silas Dean wrote that it was so moving that even the stern old Quakers had tears running down their cheeks. Well, you get tears running on the cheeks of a Quaker, you know that Holy Ghost is up to something, all right? And it wasn't just prayer. John Adams told his wife Abigail that that morning, they also, besides prayer, a three-hour prayer meeting, they had Bible study. And he he said, we study four chapters in Congress, And that God so spoke to them through one of the chapters that they had faith to believe, maybe we can beat the British in the coming conflict. John Adams wrote a letter to Abigail and told her to read that psalm. I must beg you, he wrote, to read that psalm. Read the 35th psalm to your friends. Read it to your father. Well, God used his word to change their perspective that morning and that meeting. Abigail's father was the minister of their church, the Reverend William Smith. He also wrote and said to Abigail, we have appointed a continental fast. We've got three million people in America back then. And we have called all of them to fasting and prayer. And he told her, and I quote, millions will be upon their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessing, his smiles upon American counsel and arms. Imagine, if you will, three million people back then, a whole nation seeking God through prayer and fasting. That's why God has blessed this country that started tradition of congressional prayer proclamations. And there were 15 prayer proclamations. There was a time of prayer and fasting, followed by a time of prayer and thanksgiving, because what God was doing is is they would fast and pray, they would humble themselves, God would answer their prayers, and because God answered their prayers, God poured out His blessing upon them, and then they said, okay, we have to be thankful for what God has done and is doing. I mean, 15 times, 15 prayer proclamations during the American Revolution. Prayer was part of the founding of this nation. By the time we get to 1815, the government, the government had issued 1,400 prayer proclamations. You say, wow, he is right. By 1778, uh, our commander-in-chief George Washington, seeing God's hand in all of this, said, The hand of providence has been so conspicuous in all this that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith and more than wicked that has not gratitude enough to acknowledge his obligations. In other words, George Washington was saying, if you can't stop and see what God has done and your obligation to thank him, you've got to be worse than an infidel. You've got to be flat out wicked. Matter of fact, he says, your heart has to be hardened. That was the tone of what they wrote. After the victory in 1781, the Congress of the United States printed the first English Bible. Up to this time, they were not allowed because of British law. It's called "The Bible of the American Revolution," printed in 1782. David Barton actually has a copy of that. I've seen it. All right. Why did Congress do that? Well, the records of Congress tell us, this Bible, the Bible of the American Revolution, this Bible is a neat edition of the Holy Scriptures to use in all schools but I thought they didn't want God's Word in the schools today. (laughs) They did back then, and they printed Bibles for the use in all schools. In 1782, the United States Congress voted this resolution. The Congress of the United States recommends and approves the Holy Bible for use in all schools. What if that was happening today again instead of teaching our kids what pronoun are you? And you can be whoever you want to be, and, and, and nowadays you can tell the teacher whatever and they will start the the gender junk going on without even telling parents. Of the one hundred and eight, the first one hundred and eight universities founded in America, one hundred and six of the hundred and eight were distinctly Christian including the first Harvard University chartered in 1636. For over 100 years, more than 50% of all Harvard graduates were pastors. It is clear from American history that the Bible and the Christian faith were foundational in our educational and as well as in our judicial system. You see, for years, we have asked God to bless America. And God has blessed this country tremendously. But I have to also ask this morning, on the flip side of that, how can God continue to bless a nation that has departed so far from him and his word? See, most of what I just shared has been erased from our textbooks and I'm just scratching the surface. I could be here for hours. We, have, we now live in the woke cancel culture. A few years ago, we saw a lot of statutes coming down. Streets and businesses have been renamed. We have a fake lady on a can of Bud Light and a real woman on a syrup bottle, and the real woman became offensive. Hello? Revisionists, secularists, and progressives have rewritten history to remove the truth about our country's Christian founding, our country's Christian heritage. And if you get down into it right now, American patriotism is at a record low. The flag is said to be oppressive to people. This is the image of the flag. Wave it proudly. Less than half Americans are proud to be Americans. And if you look at the next generation, only one in three youth. Know about 1776 and in American independence. Why? Because we don't teach it very little in classrooms anymore. We simply teach political correctness claims and charges that people repeat and repeat and repeat without backing their beliefs up. This is why I love David Barton and Wallbuilders so much, because you see the truth of the, the beginning of this nation. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. See, I believe right now that what we are experiencing as a nation is because we have forsaken God, and we are as a nation trying to remove God from every every area of public life. And friends, we will reap what we are sowing. We have sown to the wind the whirlwind's coming. Hosea 8 7. So I asked the question Has America completely lost God's favor and protection as a nation? And if it has, is this surprising? Because how can God continue to bless a nation whose official policies promote blatant? Violations of God's commands regarding even the protection of human life and sexual morality. Proverbs, Psalms 11:3 says, "If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do?" I mean, why should God bless any nation that elects officials? who remove people's freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom even to raise their own children the way they see fit without being demonized, saying, we can do a better job. As Dr. Michael Brown recently wrote a week and a half ago, it's one thing to say we want to work together as a country to care for all our children. It's another thing to say your children are also our children. But that is what the leftist dominionism looks like in action, saying, your kids belong to us. Even our president, in his speech two weeks ago, was saying this during Pride Month. Your kids are our kids. No, they're not, sir. They're the parents' kids. This past week, LGBTQ activists marching in New York City's annual Drag Queen Parade chanted, we're here. We're queer, we're coming for your children. Don't tell me there's not an agenda. Even with the various gay pride parades going on this past month, seeing naked people riding bicycles, naked people marching, men and women, allowing boys and girls on the sidelines to watch this. America. God's word says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I love what Francis Schaeffer said, and I quote, Christians should get more involved in the culture and not let the culture go to hell because it was left to unbelievers. Amen. Now, if you're new here, please understand that I am this morning not speaking as a Democrat. I am not speaking as a Republican. What I have to say really has nothing to do with politics, but everything to do with spiritual truth. I've said before, but I'll say it again, that we as a church do not represent the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Independent Party, or the Pity Party. We as a church represent the kingdom of God. And his kingdom is ruled by his word, and his word will remain. Amen. The fact is, most of our leaders on both sides of the aisle have cast aside God's word completely, showing no respect for biblical truth. And because of that, the Lord has allowed a deception to fall on us. The demonic lie blanketing America is a false peace. It's an idea that we can do whatever we please with no fear of consequence. We've already crossed a line in this deception and judgment is knocking at our door. I really believe with all my heart, and I see this played out before my eyes, that we as a nation have been given over to lawlessness. You saw the riots two years ago. You saw the towns that did nothing, from Seattle to Portland to whatever, and, and and basically it's lawlessness. It's lawlessness. Paul lays out this divine judgment in Romans chapter 1 where he speaks of those who once held to biblical truth but later tried to retain the truth in unrighteousness. In short, they wanted God's word and their lust, their sin at the same time. So the Lord turned them over to reprobate minds. They wanted to believe a lie and so God sent a strong delusion upon them. This, my friends, is the very state of our nation right now. Many years ago... When President Clinton was in office, he told the entire country, I did not commit this sin. But later, he was exposed for committing the very act he named. Back then, 80% of Americans turned a blind eye both to his sin and his lie. And we say, well, that what he does in private doesn't matter. As prophesied, truth is fallen in the streets. We've had governors admitting to adulterous affairs. We have, today, open homosexuality in our positions of leadership as taxpayers we are paying for murdering innocent babies and we call it a woman's right to choose what about the baby's right to live selling baby parts for profit and a nation turning a blind eye to all of it and our tax dollars paying for it like it or not there is blood on our hands and it starts with those in leadership who are not only sanctioning this, but supporting its cause. I saw a week and a half ago the gay pride flag hanging from our Capitol building. The only flag that should be hanging from our Capitol building is the American flag. Period. Period. People of all ages are treating God's laws casually, thinking, well, what I'm doing must be okay. I'm getting away with it. God hasn't judged me yet. Now this very attitude has crept into the church. Multitudes of, I'll say, so-called Christians today are watching R-rated movies and are surfing the internet, indulging in pornography. At one time, their consciences would would have tormented them. But now they reason, well, all of our leaders are doing it. They're getting away with it. Everybody's doing it. Why not me? We have fallen under a demonic delusion. It's true, we constantly hear lies, and we hear cover-ups, and we hear manipulations from our nation's capital and within our state governments, the deep state. But the strong delusion on our nation isn't simply about the sordid mess in Washington, D.C. or on Wall Street. No, Satan's deceiving power goes far beyond these treacheries and depravity. His big lie is an outpouring from hell against God's people. The Apostle Paul warns, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables or lies. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Once again, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Second Chronicles chapter 7, we know verse 14, if my people, but I want to read 13, 14, and 15 together. For God says, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, Then we have the verses. The verse we know: If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God says, "I will hear from heaven; I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land." But look at verse fifteen. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive. God says. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attended, attentive to the prayers offered in this place. See, God says, I'm looking for a people who will stand in the gap, a people that will stand for truth and righteousness, a people that will live according to the word, even though it might cost you everything, including your own life. See, the Bible says, We are salt and we are light. But I'm afraid our salt has lost its savor and our light is fading and we must repent for our sins and the sins of our nation. Church, God has blessed America but I also believe in my heart of hearts God's not done with America. I still believe in, in my heart of hearts the greatest revival that we have ever seen is still on the, on the horizon. God's moving by His Spirit. And, and I, I read to one author said it could just be right after the rapture there's going to be people getting saved and turning to God. You know, they missed the rapture, but now they can receive the mark of God if they live for God and don't take the mark of the beast. Just studied all that in Revelation. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer this morning.